Hi, and welcome to the Memorabilia Podcast. I'm Rick, and I'm here with my wife. I'm Kate, <laughs> well, I'm here with <laughs> <laughs> And we are doing a, a fairly semi-regular podcast. We're aiming for every other week. Sometimes it's every week, sometimes it's once every three or four weeks. Uh, and the idea of the, the podcast, the premise is that we talk about an album... Uh, picked from the other person's record collection and we're doing vinyl for season one at the moment and this episode that would be records yeah records yeah <laughs> sorry uh, and this particular episode is the Beatles so we're going back in time to the 60s and the album that we've selected is help so without further ado let's get on with it So here we are again, we're back in Leeds, recording this at home, uh, a week later than what we had planned originally. I think it's three weeks since we were with our good friends David and Anne on the east coast of Yorkshire recording our episode for Wham's Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, there was a bit of a spanner in the works last week. Uh, was it Thursday you went to see the dentist, Kate? Yeah. And what happened? Well, I went for an x-ray and then they were like... Oh, you should probably have that out, that tooth. And then they were like, oh, you did today. <laughs> so, one surprise tooth extraction later. <laughs> Rather you than me. Oof. Well, you know, you don't get any time to think about it, do you? I was just like, okay. I'd have been running out of there quicker than you could say bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey. So, how are we now? Yeah, fine. You know, toothless, but fine. <laughs> Fortunately, we can't see the gap. <laughs> so, uh, as long as you're all right, that's good. So, um, yeah. The, the, <laughs> Anybody would think that we haven't just spent the last week together and you just weren't quite sure. <laughs> He's just asking for the benefit of the audience. He does actually know that I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, kind of. You, you, you've had a few rough days, haven't you, in between? Understandably. So, yeah. I don't know, it's gradually been getting better. These things sometimes can come back to I mean, it, it was compounded by the fact that the doctors phoned me with a flu jab cancellation. <laughs> so after having my teeth wrenched out in the morning, I then went and had a flu jab in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, world's best day. Even the nurse was just like, yeah, you should probably get home and go to bed for a while. <laughs> yeah, she was right, and mm. you probably did. I did, yes. Don't blame you. So yeah, uh, as I said, a couple of weeks since we were in Sandsend uh, on the East Coast with, with Dave and Anne and uh, doing the Wham! episode and that was good fun, quite enjoyed that and that episode's already our uh, joint second most listened to the most listened to episode we have other than the intro one we did uh, in terms of the LPs that we've covered is Blondie and Parallel Lines um, that's a little bit out in front and then Soft Cell and Wham are equal second. So that we'll s- uh, combination of you and Anne just knowing everything. <laughs> and me and Dave going, should we just go to the pub? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we know everything. I don't think we know everything. <laughs> Many things. Many things. <laughs> yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, how our audience are interested in the Beatles because it's a bit out of our kind of demographic, really, in terms of like albums that people may have listened to. But I think everyone... Apart from you and my mum, love the Beatles, so 
let's uh, let's see. But yeah, talking of my mum, we're just going to go into a, a little segue now where my mum and dad were over to to see us today. My, my dad particularly wanted to come and see my, my son, our son Sam, play football this morning. So we thought we'd uh, do a little interview with him, but my dad didn't want anything to do with it. So we've got a, a bit of a chat with my mum about the 60s and what she thought of the Beatles and and all that good stuff. So we'll go into that now and then we'll we'll come back and talk a bit more about the album and, and all that. But yeah, sorry, I also forgot. Why did we pick this album? Why oh, we... because I'm in a pantomime. Yes. And the opening number <laughs> is helped by the Beatles. There you go. Perfect segue. And which pantomime is it? The Sword in the Scone. The Sword in the Scone, <laughs> that well-known classic. Anyway, without further ado, let's get on to the little bit. I, there's much ado. I just think there should be a lot of ado. Without a... <laughs> oh, let's just get on with this bit with me, man. Come on, Mum. Let's get into it. Okay, so here we are for a very special segment of the Memorabilia podcast. Uh, this is going to be recorded before we do the, the main bit of our Beatles help episode and I would like a very warm welcome to my mother our number one f- podcast fan <laughs> hello uh yeah do you want to introduce yourself Mrs Bentley no you've just done it I'm Mrs Bentley Rick's mother <laughs> uh yeah so the album that we're covering Kate was released uh August 1965 I did get that far thank yeah. you so August 1965, so if you can just do a quick workout, Mum, of how old you were, roughly. I was 20, and in July 1965, I met your father. Ah. Right at the end of July 1965. So, around this time then? Yes. Very good. So b- before we go into the uh, relationships of <laughs> you and my father. Yes. We're still married. I know you're still married. All right. <laughs> Tell me about you and the Beatles. I wasn't a particular fan of the Beatles. I danced to them. I loved dancing to them. But... Right, stop there. That's it. Interview over. Okay. But... Oh, is it that easy? <laughs> but, listen, I don't like them either. My <laughs> sister had all their albums. So she had the Beatles and I had Jazz and the Rolling Stones. Okay. So did... Your sister, my auntie Trish, ever see the Beatles? No, nope. we no. couldn't afford things like that. The only the only group I ever saw was when I was eighteen, and I went to work Sock Pally, and the Hollies were playing. Right. But we were dancing to them. They weren't. It wasn't what you call a gig. <laughs> you just went. They just played. Right. And then when I was, I tell a lie really because. When I was about 10, we all went to Mrs Bradshaw's dancing class. Everybody, boys and girls in the village, and you paid a shilling. She taught you how to dance. And then she had local groups come on and play. And Shane Fenton and the Fentones used to play for us at the end of this dance class. But he wasn't called Shane Fenton then. I can't remember. Yeah, it was, was he? What? Do you know what I mean? Shane Fenton? Yeah. No. But... Um, did he become Alvin Stardust? Yes. Right, okay. So, 
he used to play for all these village kids that had paid a bob to learn how to do the gay Gordons and the other. And then they used to come, she used to say, you can dance how you like now. But all those lads in the village could dance and they could bop and they could dance properly and it was lovely. Sounds a bit like where we live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so was he from the, that area then? That's Alvin, Alvin Stardust, right, yeah. okay, so not too far away. No. So you grew up in the pit village in Nottinghamshire, Ollerton? Yeah. Is it Ollerton or New, New, Ollerton. New Ollerton? Right, what, what happened to Old One? It's still there. Where's that then? That's where the hot pole is. Oh, right, okay. That's the old village. Right, okay, didn't know that. Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> I love it that your mum is taking the piss out of your accent. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change, you know. <laughs> so, you weren't into the Beatles at all? Well, I, I liked to dance to them <clears throat> and I could sing all the songs. So, why did my dad buy you the, the Red Album, which were all I've early not greatest got that hits? Album. I've never had it. Yeah, you have. Cause I haven't. You have. <laughs> I bet you, like. All that life savings. There were an album called uh, Beatles Red Album. <laughs> and I it were greatest hits from like about 62, I think they started, to Shouting 66. In. Because, so, I, honestly, you, no. You definitely had that album. Definitely had that album. Go and ask your dad. Go on, I'll talk to your mum while you're gone. I'm not going. Go on. No, I don't need to. I, I know she had it, 100%. 100%, 100% I didn't. Right, I'm going to find that next time I come over. Yes, you will, because all my LPs are upstairs. Right, OK. In a wardrobe. Have you got any humble pie in? I don't need it. <laughs> I don't need it. Honestly. All right, so, okay. did you, you had a record player in your house. Yes. We were having a conversation about this last night, because yes. we, we didn't know if Mary had a record player. Rick could remember, a, like, a radiogram in a cabinet type thing with a record player in it that was his that was what well I can't remember that a big ca- cabinet thing like that you were a, yeah, a record player dropped in. stuff like that where was it in dining room was it Elizabeth? it weren't it dartboard you're going to tell I... me there weren't a dartboard in a minute aren't you <laughs> I, I'm just are you sure that's your mum? Yeah. Are you absolutely, you know, are you sure hold this on, is your Hold on, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Are you, co- are you confident that I you two cannot, ever shared a house? I cannot remember. <laughs> Not our house, at Mary's. <laughs> well... Not that I can remember, but then again I'm old, I'm failing, so... <laughs> <laughs> are you going to tell me you can't remember the dartboard and all? Oh, I can remember the dartboard right, behind okay. the door. Because right. that door used to be our jag partner. Right, okay. You used to jive with the door <laughs> to the Beatles. Right. So what's your favourite Beatles song? Oh, I don't think I've got one. I love it, but you tell oh. him you don't like the Beatles and he just tries to pull the conversation back to the Beatles. Yeah, but we... <laughs> no, I didn't say I didn't like them. I said I wasn't a great fan of them. I did like I to think, dance to them I and think, I could sing to them. I think you did say you didn't like them. Well, if I, said I that, mean, to be fair, we can actually check the tape. <laughs> <laughs> but what I meant was, they weren't my favourites. Right. Because I I was into kind of... I'd got a sister that was a rocker. Yeah. And I wanted to be a mod, so I had my dresses made out of curtaining and things like that. Right. Wore next season's shoes this season, because I worked for a shoe company that made... I'd got the perfect size six, so they allowed me to come... 
wear next season's shoes to see how they wore. So I was a bit different. And I wanted to be, because I never wanted to be normal anyway. <laughs> you have to say, achieved. <laughs> I'll let you do that. <laughs> so did, did you, you had this record player at, yeah. at Mary's, your mum's? Yeah. What kind of record player? I know, he's not interested be in that. It's a interest. A what? A dance set. A dance set? Yeah, D-A-N-S-E-T-T-E. Okay. So was it on little dance-set legs? Or was it no, like just, just put a it little, top of a... little suitcase-style yeah. one? Yeah. And, and did you did you buy records? And this is another conversation that Kate and I had. How, how did you consume your music back in the I 60s? Used, I used to go to Sid Booth's in Mansfield. And they had those booths that you could take your record in and listen to and think... From in the shop? Or, or your own? Within the shop. Right. It was like a listen yeah. to the record, yeah. you know, and then you'd go and, and pay for it. Right. Um, the not? first record I ever bought was Wake Up Little Susie by the King Brothers. What, as in Wake Up Little, Little Susie? Susie. Yeah. The King Brothers, what? The King Brothers. Well, were, cover well because the Everly Brothers were Americans. Yeah. And I wanted a British... <laughs> you know what I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> so, I bought the King Brothers. Right. How much would that have cost you then? Don't know. Couldn't tell you. Fair enough. Seven inch? Yeah. So you bought singles. Did you buy any albums or not? Yeah, but I bought albums like um, Oscar Peterson and Woody Herman and jazz albums. Right. And Buddy Greco and yeah. things like that, you know. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be different. No, I really like that music. Yeah. And, and because... 1957, the King Brothers wake up little Susie. I see. There you go. Um, because I'd got a dad that was a musician and a singer, Yeah. the music that we were brought up with was like 1940s, 50s music. Yeah. Which was very different. And I remember putting Top of the Pops on my dad's sitting in the same room and he said to me, well, he said, I've got to say this. He says, what a band of arseholes. And he got up and walked out. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Who was on a nutrition? I just looked at one another and carried on listening, you know. And I but, you know, that I think that I think happens that, in every generation. I was just about to say, I think that's a rite of passage, in it, where your yeah, parents tell yeah. you you're listening to a lot of Well, I remember rubbish. coming back from somewhere one evening with your dad walking in the house and saying they've got my records on upstairs and you'd got harry connick jr on and i thought you'd got my frank sinatra things on right and i said hmm, when i put this music on they go oh what have you got that on for and then you go out the house and you come back and there they are playing similar sort of kind of thing very good so you met my dad just before help came out, mm. uh, you were living in Alton, my dad was living in Sheffield. Yeah. So how long were you together before you decided to get married? Well, I met him at the end of July, and at New Year's Eve in the Cutlass Hall, he asked me to marry him, and I said, I can't, I haven't known you long enough. So we waited two years before we got married. Very sensible. Well. So when did he ask you again? Um, I think when I was 21 in the May, we got engaged, so he must have asked me then. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you you got engaged in the May, and yes. then did, was it like a and you got married in September? Which same year you got married? No. So you waited like a year. I was twenty two, an so. old lady by standards. Then you were on the shelf if you weren't married. Be nineteen and got two kids. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Right, old lady at twenty two. Yeah. Wow. Well, Spinster of the parish. Yeah. And and did your uh, love of the Beatles grow from that point on? <laughs> <laughs> well, I can listen to them. I know, I know. I can listen to them because I, I like I like all <clears throat> kinds of music. But I, I like suddenly I like samba and bossa nova and yeah. stuff like that as well. So there's all kinds of music I like. Yeah, I mean, I I think I've mentioned it in a one of the previous podcasts, uh, thinking about what you were playing when I was little and I can't remember you playing right load of having a right load of albums you had Super Tramp yeah uh, Jack Jones yeah I remember oh I love Jack Jones yeah <laughs> I went to see him twice at the Fiesta and and not a lot else really Um, we couldn't afford him Rick we've got no money yeah they weren't cheap you know Um, and I suppose I used to I I had got some older records. I'd got like this Jerry Roll Mourned record and what have you. But um, no, we didn't have a lot. And I didn't have a lot of time either to listen to music. Yeah. You know. Jelly Roll Morton. Were he, Morton, were he a, a dance band no. type thing? No. No, he was a jazz player. Oh, yeah. jazz. Yeah. Yeah. So, no. I mean, I've still got loads of LPs and I don't know what to do with them. I don't like chucking them away, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> you want him? <laughs> well, I've got, I've got some Steined LPs by Stefan Grappelli. You know, who's a jazz violinist. Beautiful, I know, I know lovely saying, music. Yeah. And they are signed by him, you know, and I think somebody gave them to me and I think I can't just chuck them in a bin, can I? It's called eBay. Yeah, but I won't go on eBay, <laughs> will I? It's called Kate then. <laughs> Since Kate had to tell him I'd got dementia when I sent, I never said that. <laughs> when I sent for five, same thing five yeah, times. Yeah, do you not remember when your mum, your mum did a bit of a multiple purchase? <laughs> no, tell the story. No, she just did a multiple purchase by mistake. On what? On Kate's Christmas present, and then I sent her an email saying, "Help me." Well, you'd ordered the same thing five times. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> They were fine about it. They just they just sorted it out. But yeah, right. yeah, yeah. So, but I don't like going on anymore. In case I do the same thing. Yeah. So just to finish off, then um, the Beatles mm-hmm. were obviously covering the Help album. Did you ever see the film? Yes. You did. Yes, I oh. thought it was rubbish. <laughs> Where did you go and see the pictures of? No. I saw it in the church hall. Eh? I saw it, we had a help night. We did, one night they did um, Thingy Fever. Saturday Night Fever? Saturday Night Fever, and you took your own drinks. So that would have been, hold on, so that would have been about 1977, oh, right? I didn't, Saturday Night no, Fever. No, I'm talking about five years ago. <laughs> I hadn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> and we sat at the back of the church hall with bottles of wine. And and this and the other and sang their heads off when every bit of music came up. And it, I mean, I don't watch films, so really. I've been to pictures with you, don't tell lies. I don't watch them very often. The last film I saw was uh, when we all went on that 
thingy. Went on what thingy? When we went to watch... Full Monty? Yeah. That last film, you saw yeah. pictures. No, yeah. it wasn't. You're telling fibs again. John! Well, not long back, you said, oh, I went, I went to... We, we did, they, we did, I'll get my teeth oh, in. They do silver. an afternoon thing, yeah. No, that's the silver thingy, what's it? Yeah, right. you're right. You're right. I oh, thank you. That. I'm glad I've got that on record. I'm right for once. <laughs> <laughs> Again, silver screen right. at the Odeon. So why didn't you like the, the Beatles film, The Help? Because it's the crap. Weird. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I must admit, I've not seen it for about... It must be 20 years did you, more did since I've seen it. Did you not like it either, Kate? Um, I watched a bit of it today. I'm not sure I've seen it. I watched a load of Beatles films um, on a coach... On the way to Czechoslovakia, so oh. <laughs> as you do. So, so my memory of Beatles films is overlaid with that kind of like yeah. um, European motorway <laughs> kind of exhaustion and um, sweaty smells. And yeah. Thing, yeah, and so I'm not sure that I've actually seen Help because I don't right. didn't remember the bit that I just watched. But um, I was watching it and I was like. Mm. It looks like the monkeys, and then later yes, on, it said right. that it had inspired um, the monkeys the way that they yeah. like, approached their series and stuff. Well, um, they just want. It's very slapstick, isn't it? It's very yeah. tongue in cheek, isn't it? It's a bit like John likes um, Monty Python and things like that. That kind of John being my dad. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I have I see, seen... I, there's no way I would compare it to No, <laughs> no I, mean, I mean, in the way that it's, it's slapstick and this, that, I just other. think that it's like Elvis films. It was a vehicle and it, it has mm. nothing, no depth to yeah, it no, beyond no. being a vehicle I for the band. It's like it's just got nothing behind it, which, you know, it, it is what it is. There's a, there's yeah. a, a wafer thin story about yeah. Ringo and his magic ring, isn't there, from what I can remember? That's the bit that I saw when he stuck yeah. his hand into so the I, sandwich thing. Yeah. And then this weird woman dressed in a genie outfit or something tried to eat his ring. I was like, <laughs> I don't think I've seen this. Yeah. So I can't even remember what songs are on this. <laughs> well, I, I've got the help here. There's, obviously, there's help on there. There's, you've got to hide your love away. The oh, first side is the seven songs that are in the film. And the second side is other songs. But they didn't, again, they didn't um, write the songs to fit round any kind of plot in the film, from what I remember reading before. I think it was just a case of they were just songs to go in the film. They weren't, mm. apart from the title track. It wasn't even called that initially, though. It was called else. What, the film? Both. Right. I think the track and the film is like the eight. Armed, I don't think I've written it down, but it was right. eight armed octopus or something like that. I'll check. Okay. I, I mean, I, I remember most of these, but some I don't. I don't remember Dizzy Miss Lizzie. Well, that's not theirs, is it? That's a. That's oh, the I've just seen a face, and that is. That's, that's a Paul McCartney song, yeah, yeah. That's Lennon and McCartney, it says. Yeah, but although they're attributed to Lennon and McCartney, they're, they're right, normally right. one or And other. I don't remember Tell Me What You See, I don't think. Well, I, I mean, I learnt a lot of them when I bought these records. I mean, I'll, I'll go into that in another time. But um, So, I mean, it's what I, I used to learn to play guitar. I Old know. <laughs> Old I songs. know, the whole street knew. But, um, <laughs> but the, the film that they did before, because obviously the first film they did were A Hard Day's Night, and I don't, it's not a bad film, that. I mean, it's a similar sort of thing, but it's a bit more... 
go ahead and do it. And I think the soundtrack's actually a bit Give better. me a good murder ready, Dave. Well, yeah, I think you might have one on my own after telling me dad that he... Uh, he just wanted any excuse not to appear on this. Yeah, fair enough. I can't blame him. Right, I better go and leave you to it or turn it off and I'll go, well, whatever you do. <laughs> well, thank you very much for appearing. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Um, Anytime. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week. Safe journey back to Sheffield from Leeds. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Bye, Mum. Toodaloo. Bye. So that was nice to have a bit of chat with my mum. And uh, no doubt we'll find out very shortly as to whether she's located the Beatles' Red Album or not <laughs> via email. <laughs> so we'll, we'll tell you the results of that one next week. But whatever the results are, she definitely had that album. <laughs> <laughs> So over to you, Catherine. Uh, tell me what you found out about help or ask me what you want about my love of the Beatles. So, I mean, I'm not a huge Beatles fan. Beatles fan I, think, you know. I, think, I think we picked that up on the last section. <laughs> and Why? Just, I don't, there's nothing, I mean, they're fine. <laughs> I don't I don't understand this huge amount of enthusiasm for them. Like they're just fine. There's better bands from that period. <laughs> like you. I don't know, just better bands. Pick any band and it's not no. gonna be better than Beatles. <laughs> so Yeah. What made you so keen on the Beatles? It's not like they're your like era. I mean part of the reason I don't like the Beatles is because I went to school in the seventies. Did you not have music lessons where you had to hammer your way through, like, yesterday? <laughs> Things like that for weeks on end. <laughs> Play the maracas. <laughs> Sing it. I mean, I can... I kind of get it. Like, they want... Some music teachers wanted to, like, share their love of music. But you would have thought that, like, having a class of, like, nine-year-olds singing yesterday at you... <laughs> out of tune and out of time <laughs> over and over for several weeks <laughs> wouldn't put anybody off really it's a fair so, point yeah. yeah I'm sat here shaking my head because no we never had that experience there was another song that it was yesterday which is obviously off of help um, there was another song that they did it with as well another Beatles song I can't remember what one but yeah so I just, I suppose my early normally, experience with Beatles Sorry, just... I'm going to guess it's normally either something like Let It Be or Hey Jude. No, no. it wasn't either of them. It won't come back to me, I'm sure. So, yeah, I just, it wasn't, you know. My dad had Sergeant Pepper, quite like that. Quite like some of the early uh, Beatles songs. Um... But I mean, this album, it's like it's a proper downer. <laughs> Listen to it, and I was like, Jesus, that guy was suicidal. And he, and then when I was researching it, it was like, oh yeah, he was saying that he was. Yeah. So, well, despite the jangly, upbeat guitars, it's it's yeah. not it's not a ha- in a happy place. This album. Well, I think that is a reflection of what they were going through at the time. 
I mean, they were that busy. I mean, they, they, they'd they done two films. They'd done, like, I think, is, is, is this their fourth album or fifth album? Fifth. Fifth album in, like, space of two years. Don't you love that I'm so confident? <laughs> I actually did some research. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, they wrote a lot of songs. They were touring. I mean, they were forever on the road and they were writing songs while they were on the road. You know, the, the demands on the time and that song, if you... I've never really listened to it in that way, but, yeah... I, Obviously, I did a, a little bit of reading into this uh, as well, and and yeah, it's a real cry for help. It was John Lennon that wrote the majority of the song, and Paul McCartney just added a few bits and pieces. But um, I also read that this song, along with Strawberry Fields, I think, were the the two songs that are picked out as John Lennon's kind of real true autobiographical songs, you know, about how he was feeling and, and all the rest of it. So it's kind of a, a landmark song in a way. And uh, I think you're right, a lot of the album is quite upbeat and jaunty. and um, But there's a lot of songs on there that are quite dark in some ways. And, and a lot of them are about girls, but they're also about relationships breaking up and all that kind of good stuff. So... But yeah, to go back to your earlier question, I don't know. Um, I'm certain my mum had that album, so I, my exposure to the Beatles <laughs> mainly was. It's like is a greatest it, uh, hits. It's, right. a, it's like a. There were two greatest hits ones. The, the they call them the red one, which was sixty three to sixty six, so up to uh, Revolver, and then from Sergeant Pepper's sixty seven up to when they finished, nineteen uh, seventy, was the blue album. So I like I prefer the earlier stuff. Uh, I know it's not as, I ain't got as much depth to it, and I ain't got as much progression as the later stuff, and it's not as experimental. It follows a bit more of a, a pattern. But I don't know. I just like the rock and roll sound, and it was around that time, uh, probably late teens, early twenties, when I started buying records and. Um, I don't know, I just suddenly got it into my head. You know when you've heard like a Greatest Hits album and you think that's all there is to a band? And I thought, well, I ran a record shop and I just thought there was a record shop up up in Crooks, which is like the next suburb up from where my mum and dad live. And there were a, a, a great little record shop up there, a second-hand record shop called Roadhouse Records. I don't think it were there that long. And they had the Beatles albums in there and I thought, well, I'll try one and see what I think to... Well, the Beatles songs that I'd never heard before, and I'd, I'd started, I'd been playing Beatles songs for quite a while on, on guitar and learning. Uh, through like a Beatles songbook, and I bought, Please Please Me, the first album, an original copy of that second hand, and, uh, I was just blown away by the other songs that I'd I'd never heard of, but they were as good as, in my mind the other stuff that they put out and then that was it I just kind of acquired them all from various shops at various times and just really got into the <clears throat> the rest of the, the songs you know I'm just amazed by the, the quality of to me everything that they've done and, and obviously their legacy is uh, unquestionable you know in terms of influence on pop music pop culture everything you know so so yeah, that's that's why really. Uh, it's come back to me. 
What's that? Oh, the other song. Oh, bloody, oh, bloody. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, bloody, oh, bloody, life goes on. Yeah, good jolly suit. Yeah, I can see why you do that. The school song. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. So your dad had Sergeant Peppers and uh, and and tape on tape on tape. Really, yeah. I was allowed to listen to that because it was tape. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, I think it's a bit of an acquired taste. Sergeant Peppers, really. Because we've got some far out stuff on there, hasn't it? I mean, by that stage they were uh, heavily into the uh, artificial substances and coming up with different ways to record and all the rest of it. So, so yeah. So come on, what what else did you find out about help on your? Not research? a lot. It's really odd because you would expect, given that it's, I'm doing, I'm doing. Like uh, air quotes, air quotes, such an iconic album. <laughs> uh, you would expect there to be like quite a, a lot of interrogation of it, and there really isn't. It's really like, oh, the Beatles wrote, Beatles wrote an album, they went with the film. Some of the songs are, are a bit sad. It's like, it's like no one's kind of done a deep dive or not that I managed to find maybe it's because there's so much that it's buried like deep on page nine of google or something but but yeah it was really weird it was like there was there just wasn't really um all that much that was that interesting it was all kind of well they, it was you know just about the film and yeah it was I think it, weird yeah I think it, it I did some reading up on some of the tracks and uh, so the, the album comprises it's 14 songs there's 7 songs on each side there's 2 covers on there and as they've kind of progressed through the albums they, they kind of reduced the amount of covers um, that they were doing some on some of the earlier albums there was 3 or 4 covers I think there even might have been 5 or 6 that on, was on the first pretty standard yeah, yeah. for the, that time I mean bands re-recorded and re-recorded and re-recorded and yeah they weren't really even known as covers you just there were people just songs, other people's yeah, songs yeah. yeah it wasn't kind of there wasn't the same kind of stigma as there might be now about a band putting covers on an album no um so and then there were two george harrison songs which i think the is the first album that he had two songs on but he in his memoirs or one of his books that he wrote, apparently the two songs that he wrote on here were the only two that didn't really get a mention. So even it seems like the Beatles kind of <laughs> glossed over it. I think it was probably just because it was all so quick, you know, like a lot of them were. It was just like, for them, they had to keep producing and knock it out, move on to the next thing. And, you know, and there were, there were a lot in that early period where... They were riding on the crest of a wave and just needed to come up with materials and did so, you know. So maybe that's the reason. I don't know. I mean, I've found some stuff out, but go on. What what have you got? Um. So it was released in August, sixth of August. The film was released on the twenty ninth of July. So obviously, it was put out just before. Uh, so the film the came album. first. Yeah. yeah, and then to obviously to try and push. Um, yeah. The album. Um, the first seven songs appear in the film. 
which yeah. is side one. Um, and then side two is like nothing to do with the film. Um, the cover. <laughs> this is just like, this is just the kind of non-story that the whole album is, right? It's epitomised by the cover. So the concept was to use flag semaphore yeah. and to spell out help. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like a sort of, um, you know, everybody knows kind of um, Morse code for SOS. And so yeah, there's that kind of like yeah. tie-in to, so, you because know, being in marketing, I was like, oh, concept-wise, that's really nice, you know, tie-in to kind of asking for help and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> they decided that it looked a bit shit the way the arms were when they spelled out help in flag semaphore. So <laughs> it just changed it. So it spells out N-U-J-V. <laughs> I never knew. <laughs> it's like, so they had this great concept and they went, like, it's a bit shit, we'll just change it. <laughs> so I never knew that. I was just, actually, I was looking at it earlier thinking, oh, that's a H. How is that an E? All right, okay. <laughs> L, I can see the L in McCartney looks like he's doing an L. And then I looked at Ringo and Ringo looks like he's half asleep. I think his eyes are shut if you look at that, that image. And I thought, yeah, that's not a P at all. Maybe they just didn't. I know. You know. It was like, it's just, they so just have this lovely idea. Tell me again, what are they? N U J V. It's not. No, no, no. You, that's no, I know, not how I know, but. Flag semaphore works. But you can see a bit of a, a resemblance in Lennon's U. But anyway, okay. Sorry. You were saying. That was it. Oh, oh and it has nothing to do with octopuses. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I got the fish reference from. I'm really not sure. <laughs> but the alternative title was Eight Loving Arms to Hold You." Well, how many how many arms does an octopus have? That's why you. Well, it, I know, it? but it still seems a bit random. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, not quite random. sure how I got from the Beatles to an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the original pressing of the single had that. It said that it was from the soundtrack of A Loving Arms to Hold You. So if you've got one of them, probably sitting on a gold mine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, the song, Help, was was written to order at seven weeks into the shooting of the film when they finally decided what they were going to call the film. So they nearly finished, record, you know. But the, the song was originally called that. That's what it said. No, I don't, I, don't, I don't think that's right. <clears throat> I think uh, once they decided on a title, unless they were playing around with lyrics and then, I mean, it could have been that John said, all right, this fits in better and maybe we should call it this. I don't know, but as I said earlier, none of the songs were kind of written for particular scenes in the film. I think it's all the way around. They just kind of shoe on stuff in and see where it kind of fits. Okay, well, let's do a, a little track-by-track track analysis and then we'll move on to 1965. In terms of the tracks, then, uh, Help is the opening track on the album. Can you appreciate any of the songs? Is there anything that you... Had you heard this album before? I'm guessing not. I don't think I'd ever heard the whole album. Yeah. Um, I there were, There was quite a few songs off the side one that I didn't know. Yeah. at all yeah. I don't hate the Beatles no, no, I know. <laughs> can you appreciate no, any of the songs I know what it's like when there's there's like bands that you 
kind of perhaps know you should like, but have either never got into or it's just not your thing, you know, I get it. But occasionally you'll hear a song and think, actually, you know, that's that's a lot better than I thought it was. And so I just wondered if there anything that you'd not heard before that kind of stood out. Or... Well, I think my biggest issue is that whole, the bands I should like. Like, I like the bands I like. I'm not really interested in what I should or not, should or shouldn't like. Um, and I don't necessarily dislike the Beatles. However... People go on about them like they're bloody demigods. <laughs> I just can't be bothered with it. They are. <laughs> you see? So I just, like, just that. And then that makes me not want to be bothered with it because I'm just like, oh, they're clearly getting enough love. It's fine. They don't need mine. <laughs> <laughs> Especially that Paul McCartney fella. <laughs> I mean, he did the frog chorus. <laughs> Which he gets derided for. <laughs> Are you a fan of that? Your face. <laughs> no, I just just said it to see oh. what your face would look like. <laughs> it's smiling, darling. <laughs> his, his eyes kind of narrowed and I was like, ooh, serial killer. <laughs> to be fair, I don't actually mind it. <laughs> but yeah, I know he gets uh, he gets a lot of stick about that. But It brings back some happy, jolly memories of, of that period for me. Happy, jolly memories. Well, when, when we were early 80s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. You know, around Christmas time. And just, it is what it is. But yeah, I mean, Help as, a, as an opening track, I mean, it's a good song. Very good song, catchy, powerful. I suppose what I think is um, there was a lot of this kind of concept stuff. You know, like the Elvis films that were Elvis vehicles and these films that were Beatles vehicles. And often um, the films and albums were like shoved together with no yeah. real regard yeah. for how they actually worked as an album. Um, and the Beatles kind of... Um, they managed to sidestep it, but they actually were quite a corporate vehicle. Um, so they managed to kind of grow from it, away from it. But at the time that Help came out, they were totally like a commercial venture. Not them themselves, but... but I think that's what the whole song's about. You know, I think it's like John. Yeah, but to... you're just talking about the one song I'm talking about, yeah. the whole thing. And I think that, to me, that I'm I'm fine with that. It wasn't unusual, like in the same way as it wasn't unusual to do covers, it was perfectly acceptable like your mum buying the british version of um was it wake up little susie yeah it that was that was a thing it it just it was normal um you know most songs of that time there's like three or four versions knocking around but it's the way that people have tried to like retrospectively make it more than it was (laughs) that that irritates me i'm just like you know yeah, I think when when people talk about the Beatles and the classic albums, I don't think this ever comes up, and, and none of them early ones do, because I think, I suppose it fits in a bit with what you're saying, they were just, you know, it was exciting at that time, it was a bit kind of, I don't know, I don't want to compare it to some of the boy bands, but it, it's that but kind of thing exactly where it, what it was like, you know, and I don't want to compare it because... They were ultimately a lot more talented than. Well, what about any of the, take that? 
Yeah. Well, that's that's what I mean. I mean, what what have they done since? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't, but I'm just because you're a not a take I that know, fan, but they they have done not maybe not as as many start many songs as the Beatles, but I mean yeah. they have done. I mean, I'm not a take that fan either, so I couldn't point to any. No, but it's not. But... It's it's ne- <clears throat> they're never going to have that legacy, are they? They're never they're never going to be looked at in that same same way that the Beatles were. But what I'm trying to say is that them first up until probably Rubber Soul, which is the album after this one, where they started to progress and get a bit more complex in their songwriting and their musical arrangements and the instruments they were using, and then Revolver, which. I think when people do start talking about which is the best Beatles album, obviously Sergeant Pepper's always mentioned up there. Revolver gets a lot of plaudits, you know. So sixty six, sixty seven, and then you know they did a a few interesting things in between the White Album, um, but they also did stuff like Yellow Submarine and and then they finished off Let It Be and Abbey Road. So they're the albums that people kind of talk about, and these earlier ones. I don't think they looked at it in that same way, probably for the reasons that you said they were a bit more formulaic and but still I, I, there's some great melodies, some great songs on there as well I'd like to get into okay <laughs> sorry no, I derailed your uh, track listing no, no, it's not no it's you know, f- fair point, fair point he did actually wave his sheaf of papers at me halfway through that. <laughs> <laughs> were like waving it at me and pointing at the thing. No, I won't mean to. I was going off topic, obviously. Oh, God. <laughs> Band leader without even realising. It's just, it's like living with a dictator, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. All right, so uh, track one, I'm a fan of. Track two, The Night Before, which is a Paul McCartney song, which you may not have heard if you're not a big Beatles fan. Um, but it was kind of a Paul's remembrance of a last night with his probably his girlfriend at the time, which was Jane Asher, and uh, I don't think it was. I think it was they spent a lot of time apart because obviously they were doing different things, and it was just kind of a sad that he'd had a night with her and then she was off again or he was off again kind of thing. But uh, third song, I absolutely love this song. You've got to hide your love away, which I'm guessing you'd heard before. Yeah. I don't know whether it, I can't remember whether they released that as a single or not. Probably did. So what's it about then? Because I was trying to listen to it this well, afternoon, and then everyone in the house decided it was a really good time to come and talk to me about rubbish. There's two theories on this one that it's just a. It's just a sad song about a girl. You got to hide your love away because she's going away, kind of thing. And some people think it was actually written about or for Brian Epstein, who was their manager and a homosexual, and John's reference to the fact that he'd got to hide the fact that he was a uh, he was gay. So, but apparently the the song itself he wrote. John Lennon, John Lennon wrote most of it in his Rolls Royce as he was getting chauffeured around, and uh, I saw an image today of. He actually wrote the song in his chauffeur's address book <laughs> under W. So, but I just think it's um, it's a good song to play on guitar. The chord progressions are cool, 
And I, I just think it's one of them songs where when it comes on, you just, I think it just lifts, it lifts me. And I just like that. It the whole, lifts you. Yeah. It's a really sad song. I know, but I just like the, hey, you gotta <laughs> hide your love. I just think, I just like that bit where it just. That, see that, I just, because obviously, because I didn't know the album, the first time I listened to it, and I was expecting it to be Beatles, a bit frothy from a film that I know is like madcap, you know, and all that. And I was like, Jesus Christ, give me some value. <laughs> I think the thing with me is that, and I've found this out as we've been doing this podcast, that I've never, even with albums that I absolutely adore, it's all about the music and the melodies and, you know, I, I, I sometimes know the words, but I'm not, I've never kind of dived into it in that way. Oh, what does it mean? What's it about? Um, so I've never looked at it in the same way that you're kind of looking at it, coming at it from the first time. I just think it's a, a great song. Uh, track four was first George Harrison composition on the album. I Need You. Uh, simple but catchy. And that also written for his girlfriend, who was Patty Boyd. Um, he met Patty Boyd on the set of the Hard Day's Night film. So I think that was 64. So that would have been the year before. Um, and he ended up marrying Patty in January 66. So, uh, yeah, so probably about six months after this was this was released. So pretty quick, really. Quicker than my mum and dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, Patty didn't turn around and say... It's too soon, back off. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think the mum were right. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, track five is Another Girl. Um, Mr McCartney is beautiful best. Sorry, boastful best. Because <laughs> uh, he kind of says in there that I've got another girl. And... Uh, all the girls I've met, and I've met quite a few and all this kind of stuff, and apparently he was a bit cocky back then, but I guess you would be, wouldn't you? If <laughs> success you'd, I don't know. I suppose you'd have your, your pick of the women, wouldn't you, as well? So. Uh, excuse me, there's no need to sound so regretful when you say that. <laughs> regretful in what way? You just sounded like proper jealous. <laughs> well, I mean, how old were these guys? 19, 20, 21. When I was 18, 19, 20, 21. Yeah, I was jealous. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but I'm not sure whether it's a, a straightforward for I have got another girl, so forget you, or whether he's kind of, again, writing about Jane Asher and saying that she's changing for the better and he's got another girl. So, as in, she's changed into a different girl. But anyway, we will let the theorists f figure that one out. Write in and let us know if you know the answer. Uh, so track six was a, a John Lennon composition, You're Gonna Lose That Girl. And it, again, it's typically catchy melody. Sad words. Uh, you what, sorry? Sad words. Sad words. Well, yeah, he's, he's been a bit big-headed and all, isn't he, really? He's kind of, treat your girlfriend right, mate, or I'm going to steal your offer. Steal your offer. Steal her off you. Which uh, apparently, according to his 
girlfriends and his first wife, Cynthia, he wasn't much of a ladies' man, so... Um, yeah, I think his boasts there were a bit wishful thinking by the sounds of it. And then the the final track on side one, so this had uh, also been in the movie, was possibly the best song on the the uh, first side, Ticket to Ride. Are you a fan of this song? It's all right, overplayed. As in, you've heard it too yeah. much kind of thing. Still excites me when I hear it, this one. I was listening to it today and just still, as soon as that kicks in, I'm just like, come on. <laughs> I think we must have had a Beatles song book at school. I remember doing really? this one as well. Not in as much detail, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a... Because most of the songs on, on all the first lot of Beatles albums, they were... I know all, all the Beatles songs, and I touched on this when speaking to my mum, are credited to Lennon McCartney. But generally on the first, I think right up until Sergeant Pepper, it tells you who was the lead vocalist, and generally whoever was the lead vocalist on the song wrote most of the song. Uh, this one apparently was kind of a 60-40 split, so mainly John, but quite a lot of input from Paul as well. Uh, and at the time, this was the longest Beatles song to date, a massive three minutes, 12 seconds. Because <laughs> most of their songs were like between two and two and a half minutes. But, interestingly, because Help was supposed to be a ballad. Yeah. And it's very... Uh, this is totally taken off the internet. This is not my own words. <laughs> because it's so vocally dense. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> 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 um... I assume if it had been sung at the tempo that it was originally conceived, it would have been a much longer yeah. and probably longer, the well, longest song. One of John's one of John's mates, I can't remember his name, claims that he said to him, this is a bit of a dirge, lads, this help. And I think you need to kind of put a bit of a oomph in the help bit and, and all the rest of it. So, yeah, you might be right there, Kate. What I haven't had time to do today and I was considering would be interesting is go and see if anyone's re-recorded it um, as a ballad. Right. I'm sure they will have done somewhere. Um, but yeah, going back to A Ticket to Ride, John Lennon claimed at one point that this was pop music's first heavy metal record. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's brilliant pop, but I don't think it's heavy metal. Um, and there's lots of theories as to what the song is about. So I've picked out four of the main ones. First one being that it was just kind of a, the first creative response to them taking LSD, so they're on this ticket to ride in their minds. The second one is that it was a, actually a play on a ticket to ride, as in R-Y-D-E, on the Isle of Wight. Um, because Paul's cousin had a pub there and he and John, he, Paul and John visited that pub. The third theory is that they were talking about the medical certificates that the ladies of the night had in Hamburg, uh, where, if you don't know, the Beatles went out to kind of hone their craft before they became famous and spent quite a bit of time in Hamburg playing the clubs to death. Or... The fourth theory is that it's simply about a girl leaving, saying, see you later, I'm on my ticket to ride and I don't care about you anymore. Ta-da. So, 
take your pick. <laughs> All good theories. So let's move on to side two. So side two opens with Ringo singing. So they normally gave him one song to sing on a on an album. I don't think he's got a bad voice actually. It's very different to the the other three. When I first started listening to these other albums, I found it hard to pick out the difference between Lennon, McCartney, and even George Harrison. But Ringo's much more distinctive, and it's a it's a cover song called "Act Naturally." Quite a jaunty country feel to it, and just about being in the movies. So. I'm guessing it was just one of them songs that they picked for him to, to sing and stuck on there. Uh, track two is quite an interesting one because, it, again, it's a song that I really, really like and it's quite nice to play and sing uh, called It's Only Love and another John Lennon song. But he stated um, in an interview with Playboy magazine that he, he thought it was a, a damn lousy song and it got abysmal lyrics. So... Uh, thought that was quite interesting but the song itself it's only love I think it's him kind of saying I shouldn't really care about it that much but he couldn't help the way he was feeling kind of thing so I didn't think lyrics were that lousy I think he was being a bit harsh on himself can you remember that song Have you, is it yeah. it's only did, had you heard it before it's not that I could did you like it or not I think I've heard you sing it yeah Probably. <laughs> um, that's alright. And any strong feelings either way. Fair dues. Uh, track four. Uh, this one is a, a Paul song with a little from John called Tell Me What You See. And uh, interestingly, the final version included, because they had a few goals at it, I think, before they decided they got it right, included some lyrics lifted from a religious motto hanging on a wall. I don't know if they were in their school or church or whatever. Quite a simple song, but again, I think it's brilliant, really. Um, fifth track, I've Just Seen a Face. So this one was one of many, many songs that Paul composed in Jane Asher's house. Uh, she had a music room there that he used to work in. And others there include Anna Lover and Ella Rigby. And kind of quite a nice segue into... The sixth track on the album, which is Yesterday, which is obviously a, a huge Beatles song because it is in the Guinness Book of World Records as being the most covered song ever. And I think even like 10 years ago, they'd counted over 2,000 recorded versions of the song, which is just insane. And uh, the BMI asserted that it was performed over 7 million times in the 20th century alone. So, yeah, very mournful, haunting, but utterly beautiful. And, and the segue was that he, he woke up, uh, he was staying in Jane at Asher's house, and he woke up with that melody in his head. And I'd, I knew that story, and I knew that they hadn't got lyrics for it. And at first he called it Scrambled Eggs. And he'd just written a load of spoof lyrics like, How I Love Your Legs, Scrambled Eggs, and all this palaver and the part of the reason for that was because he woke up with this melody in his head and he thought he must have heard it some from somewhere else we so spent quite a lot of time singing it and playing it to other people and saying is this someone else's song that you know but he fortunately i guess for him he, he couldn't get rid of this melody out of his head and finally in in may of 65 while he was on a, a rare holiday with jane in portugal he wrote the proper words to it so 
Perfect song? Not far off. <laughs> Not far off. <laughs> any, any feelings on it? Well, I... <laughs> Overplayed again. Well, yeah. Yeah. Overcovered, overplayed, hammered into my head at school. Yeah. I mean, I could probably sing it and probably know all the lyrics. <laughs> Just... And yes, it is beautiful, but oh my good God, is it like engraved into my brain in a very uncomfortable way. So, yeah, you know, it's. I think sometimes it's just when stuff's been so overdone, it's difficult to even to have a, an opinion, really. It's weird, isn't it? Our songs sometimes can go that way. I mean, I, I heard a song this week that I'd never heard before. And sometimes when I love songs, as much as I love this song when I'd never heard it before, I don't want to listen to it too much in case I fall out of it, because sometimes I, that's why I don't listen to songs over and over again, because I, I like it. I don't know, I like to savour them. And, but I do. I but I think it's because it's so enforced, this, and, and just because you have yeah, to do it. Right. Whereas I'll listen to a song until I've had I enough, know. and then yeah. I'll like dip back in, in and out and really enjoy it. Yeah. Whereas I think this was kind of like... Yeah. Mandatory. <laughs> yeah, as you know, I've been kind of listening on and off to the, the go-betweens a lot <clears throat> recently, and I, I heard um, the first side of one of their albums, Spring Hill Fair, this week, and the opening track. And I might have heard it once before, but um, it just absolutely grabbed me. Bachelor Kisses, it's called. Wow, what a song. Anyway, let's finish off uh, the album. Um... Dizzy Miss Lizzie, another the another cover. So the, the the second cover on the album, sung by John. Um, and this brought back memories for me because I went to see in nineteen ninety four. There was a film on um, at the pictures or a film released called Backbeat. I don't mm. know whether you remember that or yeah. I think I went to see. It I with, didn't see it. Yeah, I think I went to see it with Ringo and Dave, and it got Stephen Dorff in it and Ian Hart and Cheryl Lee. And the main story was their time in Hamburg before they became famous, but the, the kind of relationship between uh, John, uh, Stuart Sutcliffe, who was in the band, he was the bass player out there, and he eventually died. I think it was a, a brain hemorrhage. Uh, and Stuart's relationship with Astrid, who took a lot of famous photographs of the, at the time when they were out in Ham Hamburg. And, um, but yeah, a really good soundtrack. And, I bought like a CD single. I didn't have the album, the the backbeat album. I but I bought. I saw a single in one of the record shops. I probably bought it for a couple of quid, and it was uh, money. But on the three track single, the third track was Dizzy Miss Lizzie, and uh, quite a, heavy, a lot heavier than what the Beatles had played it, and the the vocals were quite gritty. But I looked at who was in the band. I could remember Greg Dully, who was from Afghan Wigs. There was another guy called Dave Pinner from Soul Asylum, also on vocals. But a bit of a super group, really. You've got Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth on guitar. Mike Mills from R.E.M. on bass and Dave Grohl from... Um, Gets around him, doesn't he? Nirvana, Foo Fighters and all the rest of it. Yeah, he does. He does, yeah. He's been on the telly a lot this week, hasn't he? What with it being, never mind, 30 years. And uh, if you didn't catch it, oh, crikey, that documentary that they did, the BBC, I'm sure it'll be on iPlayer, um, when, something like when Nirvana came to the Britain. Yeah, something like that. Brilliant. 
That is my era. <laughs> that hit the spot. Man. So I've, I've been enjoying it this week, and on Friday, Six Music did a, a 1991 day. <laughs> Oof. Awesome. So anything else to add on help, babe? Nope. All been said, all been done. Pretty much. Let's go on to 1965, when we were minus seven. <laughs> <laughs> So, 1965. Yes. We don't, went alive. Don't remember it. <laughs> um, it was a very eventful year. Not overly for the UK, but all sorts was going off in other places. Um, I didn't really write it down because it was like there was loads of. I stuck to August, like we'd agreed before. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a lot of. Um, tension in the world, a lot of kind of quite sort of things like that happening. So, was that before the Cuban Missile Crisis, or was that around that time? Oh, I think it was before. Yeah, I think that was late sixties. Mm. So, UK, uh, cigarette advertising was banned on TV in August nineteen sixty five. That bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> but numbers of people. Uh, smoking continued to rise, <laughs> so it wasn't successful in uh, its aim. Um, and then the, the Beatles were very busy during August of 1965. I think they were busy, like, every month of 1965. <laughs> no, but in, like, a headline um, of, like, news things. Yeah. They, they cropped up, like, three times. So the first time they a concert in Vienna was cancelled, it has been it had been booked by some promoter um, to try to raise funds for to support um, other musical events. Right. Um, and it was booked for the October, but the sales were so poor that they cancelled it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So apparently Austria, not Beatles fans. In nineteen sixty five, yeah. Wow. Yep. Um, Come on, you Austrians. What are you playing at? Then, on the 13th of August, the first woman was appointed to the High Court of Justice. So, that was a, a good thing. You said three things the Beatles cropped up on. Oh, we're yeah. coming to it. Oh, you're doing it just, in, like, just, just chill. a month progression. Sorry. First woman appointed to High Court of Justice. What, as a as judge. In, ah. So, um, the 15th of August, the Beatles performed what is generally understood as the first stadium concert or gig in the history of rock. So they performed to 55,600 people um, in Shea Stadium, NYC. I've seen, so, I've yeah. seen footage of that. And I think it, it, it features in... Ron Howard did a, a film, um, probably about, might even be five years ago now, in the last five years, called... Oh, eight days a week again brilliant documentary and I think that features in there and it's renowned because they just couldn't hear themselves playing the crowd were that loud and mm. so I, they did alright <laughs> to say they couldn't hear what they were playing it doesn't sound too bad um, on August the 27th they visited Elvis Presley oh that was the, the it was in a hotel room wasn't it they met. Uh, I have no idea I didn't yeah. go that deep into it I just uh, they insisted that no photos were taken right. or recordings were made 
So there's no visual record of the visit at all. I was just about to say, I think I've seen a, an image of Elvis <clears throat> with the Beatles in a hotel room. So if it wasn't that one, they must have met up with him again, unless it later got leaked out and someone did take it off. I will look into that, I'm interested. Homework. Good fact. <laughs> Let me write that down. <laughs> and on the 28th of August, the first subway opened in Bridport, Bridgeport, Connecticut. There you go. Very exciting. Subway goes back to 1965. <laughs> Apparently so. Eh? I thought that was like a 2000s. <laughs> well, well, no, because this was like the guy who invented subways. Yeah. That he opened his first shop then, so that it was it wasn't like Subway the conglomerate. It was like Mister Guy who invents the the Subway idea. I know, but what I'm saying is like, I didn't think it was that much of a slow burner. It's I just, just a sandwich shop. What did you? <laughs> I don't understand why that's weird. I think it's just because I'd never <laughs> I'd never heard of it, and then suddenly it was everywhere, and it seems to me that weren't that long ago. And I thought it must have like grown in America just over the last five years before I'd heard of it. The last five years? The five years before it came over here. Oh, right, I was going to say. Not the last five <laughs> years, as, as in like, I was 20, like from 2016. You've been asleep for 20 years. <laughs> well, sometimes I think so, yeah. <laughs> well, who knew that the subway fact would be both the most controversial one? <laughs> who knew? Who knew? Uh, Crazes of 1965. Doctor Who and the Daleks, the film, was released. Very exciting. Spirograph was launched. I had one of those. Did you? Uh, yes, I think I did. I thought you were going to go, what's the Spirograph? No, then? no, it's that thing where you put a pen in it, like you spin it round in like a, a circle, it makes yeah, pretty patterns. It does. Woo! Mathematical pretty patterns. Okay. Which you can change by changing the sizes of the spirals of the outer or inner pieces. I just used to play with it. <laughs> it made pretty patterns. Uh, and gonks arrived. Apparently they arrived to challenge the trolls. That's what it said on the website that I found that on. But... <laughs> what? In 1965, the trolls. Not the trolls from that film, the trolls. Well, yeah, because those trolls have been around for a very long time. Oh, don't tell me that. I thought they were new and all. <laughs> You're just rewriting history from here. This is no good. I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> I mean, I'm not being funny, but I had one of those trolls in about mm, 1977. <laughs> so, so, yeah, they have been around for a very long time. I'm going to give you a fact here. When people say I'm not being funny, generally they are. Thanks. I wasn't, that wasn't a joke. I wasn't being funny. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <coughs> uh, um, albums. Albums, 1965. Number 10. Duh, duh, duh. What's Been Did and What's Been Hid by Donovan. I know who Donovan is. That's a rubbish <laughs> album <laughs> title, isn't it? Was just Say like, it again, what? What's been did and what's been hid? <laughs> <laughs> did he just pick that out at Ben and... What? Oh, that's awful. No and then, one. the freewheeling Bob Dylan. 
guess who that was by. <laughs> I thought that album was just called Freewheeling. Obviously No, not. it was it's the album is called The Freewheeling Bob Dylan. Right. Um Joan Baez in Concert, Volume Two. Name me a Joan Baez song. I seriously couldn't. Which I then felt bad about because I was thinking that as I was writing it, she pops up again at number three. So <laughs> there's a treat for you all to look forward to. Number seven, Almost There by Andy Williams. Number six, Sounds of the Shadows. Guess who that's by. Number five, Beatles for Sale. Help hadn't made it into the uh, top ten. Uh, and number four, Mary Poppins soundtrack. Hold on. Help hadn't made it into the top ten what? Well, the album chart. Oh, I see. So this is, oh, right, when it was released. I've yeah. got you. Sorry, I've got you. So Beatles for Sale was the preceding yes. Beatles album. Yeah. 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 Uh, four, Mary Poppins soundtrack. From the, Is that when the film was released? I guess so. Right. Uh, number three, Joan Baez. <laughs> is that what it was? What? The, the album the was called Joan Baez Number Five. All right. She obviously just wasn't following <laughs> Donovan's lead. There's a there's a very very famous Joan Baez song, and I, I can't get it out. I've not slept well enough this week. So can't help you. The name is familiar, but it did not link up to any music in my head. You can Google it in a minute when you finished all your facts for me, please. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And then Bob's back at number two <laughs> with Bring It All Back Home. Bob, Robert Zimmerman, Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Yes. And number one. Yes. And this is This is uh, indicative of the state of music at the time. The sound of music. But <laughs> the hills back. are alive, baby. Come on. So, yeah, from that we're taking it that cinema had quite a big influence. I would say it did, which is why all these bands are whacking out crap films. <laughs> Absolutely. Apart from the Beatles, because their films are it. <laughs> and then, singles. Number ten, I'm Alive by The Hollies. Don't oh. know it. I don't... I probably do know it, but that didn't come to mind. Number nine, In the Middle of Nowhere by Dusty Springfield. Pass, pass. I know that one. Sing it then. No. Come on, give us a song. Number eight. Give us a song. There But For Fortune by Joan Baez. Give us a song. That's not the one I'm thinking of, no. Uh Definitely not. Seven, Catch Us If You Can, the Dave Clark Five. There's we song and all. Catch us if you can. (laughs) Six, Heart Full of Soul, I think. The pen was running out, so I think it's as hot <laughs> by the Yardbirds. Uh, five, Tossing and Turning by Ivy League. Never heard of them. The Yardbirds. I'm going back to the Yardbirds. I think Eric Clapton was in the Yardbirds. And I think I missed a, a little bit of my... A nugget of information. A nugget of information. <laughs> I think I missed a whole song, actually. Uh off the second side, track three, George Harrison's second composition, was also about Patty Boyd. I just remembered when you said Yardbirds, because Eric Clapton, and the song was, included in that song, You'll Never Leave Me, and I Know It's True, and the song's called Because You Like Me Too Much. But she did leave him. She left him for Eric Clapton, and Eric married her in 
1979, Anne wrote the songs Layla and Wonderful Tonight about Party Boy. Well, there you go. So she must have been some muse, that lady. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Uh, number four, we've got to get out of this place oh, by the yes. animals. I think Good I've song. got that on a single. we got to get out of this place. Number three, you've got your troubles by Fortunes. I don't know who's the Fortunes, but I've only written Fortunes. In fact, it looked like it looked like fortunes. <laughs> I don't think they'd have minded. They'd been making a fortune if they got to number three in the Chew. charts. Two, number two, Mr. Tambourine Man. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, a Bob Dylan song. Uh, number one, help. It certainly is. I need somebody. <laughs> Come on, practice. You've got to do this for the pantomime. Oh God, no, please. <laughs> <laughs> don't say that. Should be looking forward to it. I'm in the chorus. I get like I get camouflaged by everybody else, and I always make sure I stand next to someone who doesn't sing the wrong notes, which makes it easier for me not to sing the wrong notes. I thought you were gonna say you make sure you stand next to someone five foot just so you can stand out, being your towering six foot one. No. Fair play. So what else have we got? Sixty five. Is that it, or did we that do movies, it. TVs? No. I did not do movies and TVs. No. Oh dear. So there ends the podcast. Well, I think we are up to an hour and a half, so I think the podcast should end there. Yes, everyone will be pleased to know that we've left the lists alone this week. But next episode, we are going to <laughs> commencing on an epic list. Well, the Rolling Rolling Stone magazine have just released their. I, I'm guessing they've they've done this a few times, but their top five hundred songs of all time. So we'll uh, we'll have a look at the top fifty. You'll be pleased to know we're not going to do all five hundred, <laughs> and we'll just we'll do ten at a time. So we'll start at number number fifty on the next episode. Um, so we'll finish off this one before our little outro, and we will tell you what we're going to do next with our random single of the week, which. Was actually random single of the week. A couple I of weeks love ago. the way you say our random okay. single of the week. It's, it's nothing to do with me. <laughs> it's Rick's random single of the week. Sorry, darling. But you were involved because we were having a bit of a discussion. Mm. I can't remember what it was about. I think it was about. I got another random single of the week. <laughs> was it about the fact that you can't remember anything? It might have been. And you said, I'm telling you now, if you do that or something, this, that, and I thought, Freddie and the Dreamers, I'm telling you now. So that is our random single, of, my random single of the week. Nicely owned. Thank you very much, yeah. But a little bit about Freddie and the Dreamers, because I did a, a, a little bit of a, a look at them. Um, and yeah, some surprising tracks. They were led by the very energetic, jaunty Freddie... Garrity, all five foot three of him, famous for his antics on uh, stage with his limbs flying everywhere. If you look at some footage, he's uh, quite a quite a character, and he, as he bounced all over the stage. And they had a they had a song, uh, mid to late sixties called "Doing the Freddy," where they were trying to get everyone to do this <laughs> Freddy dance. But yeah, it was a bit of a um, a quick. Burnout in the UK. I mean, they had um, in '63 they had four top ten singles, and that was as good as it got in the UK. One of them, I'm telling you now, reached number two. 
in August 63. The other one that people probably know um, was You Were Made For Me. Mm-hmm. You Were Made For Me. So that reached number three. Uh, and their eponymously titled album reached number five. But as I was just uh, alluding to, the popularity faded pretty quick in the UK. But bizarrely, in the spring of 1965, with the Americans eager for more British pop music, they hit number one on the US Billboard Hot 100 with I'm Telling You Now. So it was a number one in America. There you go. Well, in that year, in 65. The that year was, that around that time, 65, 66. Yeah. It was known as like the British invasion. Yep. Um, and basically, a load of British bands hit hit the charts in America and pushed out a lot of. I mean, the the article that I was reading was kind of saying that a lot of American music had become very formulaic, um, and it was very commercial, and people weren't that interested in it anymore, and so all these British bands kind of just hopped over there. A lot on the back of the Beatles, um, and and really took over the American charts for sort of two or three years until a new um, crop of American bands started to come up um, with with sort of newer, fresher ideas. Go on, the Brits. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, the last fact I've got on that is that after they hit number one. Freddie and the Dreamers, the next two. So they were the first of three consecutive groups from Manchester to have number one hits in America in that spring. The others being Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders. Good old Wayne. So what did they have their hit with? Don't know. <laughs> and uh, Herman's Hermits. I don't know what the hits were, to be honest. I've heard of Herman's Hermits and I've heard of Wayne Fontana, but... So, uh, uh, yeah, bit of a weird name, that. The Mindbenders. So, are you going to look it up for us? I am. Are you going to do a quick Google? Mm, let's see. They were successful in the mid-60s British invasion. Um, Game of Love. I think I know that, actually. And Groovy Kind of Love, ah, 66. Groovy Kind of Love. So, that was the one that featured on... Uh, the Buster soundtrack that Phil Collins covered that probably made it to number one over here, didn't it? Probably. That was a big song at that time, wasn't it, when that film was released, Buster. So that was Wayne Fontana? Yep. Oh, wow. Well, I'm glad you looked that up. There you go. And here endeth the 65th. So thank you very much for your ears. We appreciate you. You're right, Kate. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was just thanking our listeners for tuning in, darling. Hello. Why is that so funny? Thank you for your ears. I just celebrate. Okay. So you, you carry on. You say it in the in the right way then. Thank you very much for listening. Well said. <laughs> so all that's left is for us to uh, let you know the next album that we're covering. Uh, hot off the press. I've just picked this out of Kate's collection. We're back to the 80s. We've done 88. We've done 90. And now we're squeezing in the middle of that 1989. We have The Cure's Disintegration to dissect. 
So that's something to look forward to. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, you can do so via Facebook, Kate. What's our Facebook handle? Memorabilia Podcast. Oh, nice. Complex. Yeah. Nice and straightforward there. On Twitter, we are Memorabilia Pod, and then the numeral one. And if you want to email us, you can do so at memorabiliapodcast at gmail.com. And if you've enjoyed listening to us, please spread the word. Share us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us. Tell your family about us. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Write in. Don't phone because we haven't got a phone number. But any other communications are welcome. (laughs) Special thanks to my mum. And we won't be recording next week because we are going to an actual gig. We're going over to Sheffield to see our fabulous friend Ian Prowse at the Greystones. So hopefully the week after, uh, so in two weeks' time, we will have something out there. So until then, thank you very much again, and we will see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.